as we sing about the amazing grace of God. privilege this morning to gather together around the cross of Christ and around his his sacrifice on the cross and then his resurrection that he is alive he has destroyed sin and that uh, Lord that he through his lordship will one day return and put death away also and so uh, he has given his people he has given his church the the practice of baptism to represent physically what he does spiritually in our lives as he brings us to a place 
of conviction of sin and to a place to trust in him, uh, to be buried in our likeness of our former way of life, to walk as he has been raised, to walk new, renewed by his grace. And so it's a great privilege we have to gather around this time together. And uh, so I want to welcome you if you're a guest. There should be a card in front of you in the pew. Would uh, would greatly appreciate if you would take that, fill that out, drop that in the basket on your way out this morning. And uh, give us the opportunity to reach out to you this week, see if there's anything we can do or pray for you. And uh, would, would greatly appreciate that. So also, we Memorial Day is tomorrow, and so we will not be gathering this evening on campus. So hope you would spend time with, with your family uh, this evening, and uh, that uh, as we return this week for discipleship groups together on Wednesday night, uh, next Sunday we will also will have a business meeting uh, after morning worship to to look at and approve the budget for the following year, for next year, that will begin in July. So I want to make you aware of that. Uh, if you're a member of Faith Family, to hang around a little bit next weekend, and we'll, we'll have a very brief meeting together to look at that and to all affirm it. All righty? Fantastic. So, Emily, if you would come join me. Emily Dorsey is coming forward, uh, has recognized uh, that... About a year and a half ago, uh, recognized that that the Lord was at work in her life and brought about an understanding of her need of grace and trust in Jesus. That uh, she wanted to ensure that uh, a previous uh, previous decision uh, was was consistent and found that about then, a year and a half ago, that that she she needed to come come to Christ in faith and trust Him, and so. Um, over the last several several months, she has uh, she has been walking with the Lord and testified that she her heart she is her desires have changed that she wants to know the Lord and walk with Him and and has seen fruit uh, that her parents uh, see and, and agree with of the Lord at work in her and so she wants to come forward professing faith in Christ that God has brought her to life and to to do so in front of, of her church in, in agreement uh, and also to be identified with other believers uh, in, in a local church. And so uh, do, you, do you agree or have you come forward uh, professing faith in Christ yes. that you've trusted in him and you've believed in him? Yes. Yes, fantastic. Well, it is my privilege, Emily, to baptize you as my sister in Christ, uh, buried in the likeness of Christ, in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, raised to walk in newness of life. So the heater was turned on like two hours ago, so this, this water's chilly. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for Emily. God, I thank you uh, mostly for your grace. That Lord Jesus, you came and took took our debt upon you, that you paid the price for our sin, for my sin, for Emily, Lord, that anyone who would call upon your name would come forward to trust in you, would be saved and forgiven, and that, Lord, that work of grace is a putting to death of a life of sin, a putting to death of what was former, and Lord, Lord, I ask your help that, God, you would help us, help your people to, Lord, day in and day out, put to death the things of this world, put to death sin that abides and remains, Lord, that, God, we would, we would recognize your work of grace that is effective, that brings about spiritual life, and that, ch- that charge that we would walk in the reality that we have been put to death to sin. We are dead to it, and we are to walk in newness of life. We are to walk in your spirit. And Father, would you help us? God, would you help us that that would be our practice? And so, Father, would you, Lord, glorify yourself in the next few moments as we gather around uh, more, more songs, more singing, and around your word, that, God, you, Lord, would be exalted. We would see you, and you would draw us, Lord Jesus, to you, to know you, to be renewed in faith, 
or to have faith. So God, would you call your people, uh, call those who do not know you, Lord, to faith in your son, that God, you would be glorified and you would be known. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church families, we've been uh, this past month looking at this verse in Isaiah. Um, let's read this together real quick and then we'll continue in worship as we stand. Um, it says, incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Isaiah 55.3. And as we celebrate and remember that love, the love that he had for David, the love that he had for Abraham, the love that he has for us, it's a sacrificial love. It is an unconditional love. It is a love that we don't deserve. So let's sing, let's stand and sing of his love. love for us and how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure how great the pain of searing loss the Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon the sin upon his shoulders ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished his dying breath has brought me life and I know that it is finished and I will in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, in His death and resurrection. Why should I gain from His reward? I can't but this I know with all my heart His wounds have paid my ransom Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer But this I know have paid my ransom.
are holy. God, deserving of our worship, deserving of our praise, deserving of our best. Lord, even when we fail, even when we fall, when we falter, God, you don't. God, you pick us up. Lord, you are perfect in power, perfect in love. You are faithful when we are not, and we are so thankful for that. God, help us not take that for granted. Help us to remember the weight of your love. God, that it does not come without a cost, and that cost was your son. But Lord, that was a price you were willing to pay because of your great love for us. You sent your son to die for us. Lord, help us to rejoice, to remember, and God, to glorify you for that. God, I pray for Pastor Joel as he comes to bring the word that you will give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. Father, that we will leave this building better equipped to be your church. God, that we can love you and serve you in all that we do. Help us to show your love to those around us. We love you and we praise you. See you in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. to you this uh, Memorial Day weekend uh, where we take time to uh, remember uh, those warriors who have uh, given their lives so that you and I might know the freedoms that we have and uh, the greatest warrior obviously is the Lord Jesus who uh, fought uh, that fight for us and because of him we have the freedom of grace uh, that comes through his death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, I was um, not at staff meeting on uh, Tuesday. I was uh, preaching at a couple of the nursing homes. Uh, normally, it's my responsibility uh, to uh, turn on the baptistry heater, and I didn't know about it. So, uh, Matthew, I uh, hope you all enjoyed it. It was, <laughs> it was impressive. That's true. Um, well, we are, uh, as, we, as we take time to remember great sacrifice, uh, we are in the book of Isaiah and in the 57th chapter of the book of Isaiah, and we're talking about a very serious uh, and a very uh, uh, holy matter this morning. And uh, in this text, you and I have a contrast between the faithless family of earth, those outside of Christ, and the faith, the faith family, and I don't mean that to talk about our church body, but the family of faith. Uh, there's a great contrast here. Uh, the first half of the chapter deals with the man, the woman, the family without Christ, uh, and e even deals with uh, a condition of backsliding and yet God's pursuit after those who are falling away. Uh, and then when we come to the second half of it, it deals with the family of faith, and it's all based on the faithfulness of our God. Um, so I want to read uh, just some uh, choice verses out of this, and we're just going to zero in particularly on the 15th verse uh, of the chapter. But uh, it begins by saying, the righteous man perishes, and no one lays it to heart. Devout men are taken away, while no one understands. For the righteous man is taken away from calamity. He enters into peace, and they rest in their beds who walk in their uprightness. Now, let me just pause here before we read another verse and, and say a couple of things. One, uh, he is, he's talking about 
gathering. The, the word to take away is the word to gather. And it's really a harvest word. And you and I need to understand that. The, he's not talking about futility here. He's talking about what he does for his children. He harvests us. And he takes us to peace and rest. And he, uh, we'll see at the end of the sermon that he is primarily dealing with what happens to us when we die. And I think that's significant for us uh, to note that. And so for the believer, the righteous man, uh, he is snatched away, gathered away from calamity. When Christ comes to take us in death, what is he doing? He's rescuing us. He is saving us. We who hold tightly to this world need to remember not to do so because heaven, you know, we used to sing a little chorus with the kiddos, heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. Oh, I want to see my Savior's face because heaven is a wonderful place, okay? Uh, sometimes we're caught hanging on so tightly to this world, we act as if, well, I don't know that I really want to go to heaven, well, outside of Christ, don't have to worry about that. You won't go there. Uh, and so he contrasts that in the concluding verse of the chapter. And so I'm going to skip all the way back down to the bottom of it and read verse 20. And here's the contrast. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet. And its waters toss up mire and dirt. So in contrast to those who are in Christ, uh, there's a dreadful end for the person who is not in Christ, who is outside of Christ. And when we come to the book of Revelation, it says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And that's all that a person outside of Christ has to look forward to. So no wonder, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. And so... Uh, this great contrast, but right in the center of it, I want you to look at verse 15. And, and that's where we're going to center our attention this morning. In verse 15, it says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit. And this is what he does. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So I want to lead us in prayer. And as I do lead us in prayer, I want us to remember, obviously, uh, those who have served their country and give thanks to God for them. Uh, we want to pray for our own church body for the Walker family, Amen. and the uh, home going of his father. Uh, it was good to see many of you uh, up at, uh, uh, they don't pronounce it Peniel Baptist Church, but it means the face of God. It's a wonderful name for a church. Uh, it was good to see many of you up there yesterday for that. And then uh, uh, the service uh, in Ohio for Steve Centers who passed away. Uh, be in prayer for Sheila. I uh, talked with Sheila, and she's talking about finding a peace uh, that passes understanding that is guarding her heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And those were her words, quoting from uh, Philippians chapter 4. Um, we also want to remember the families in Uvalde. Uh, uh, I had a church member uh, in uh, Arkansas, Jimmy Wilson, who was from Uvalde. And uh, uh, I couldn't help but uh, we, Janet and I have been through there because of him uh, when we were, went to Big Bend. Uh, so our hearts are just going out to a group of people who are devastated and just need the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So let's bow together in prayer. And Father, we have uh, read your holy word. And as we have read it, we know that you are a God who loves us. And Lord, you are the one who is so different than we are because of your holiness, 
because of your separateness from us, because you are the creator and we're the creature. Uh, you, are, you are the potter and we're the clay. Uh, Lord, you're our, our maker and, and we are your design. Uh, you are our Savior and we are those who are saved by grace. And yet, Lord, uh, you contrast this with those who are outside of Christ and uh, who refuse to come to bow their knee uh, to this lovely Son of God who died in our place, who took our sin and bore them in His body on the tree, rose from the dead victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And Father, who is coming again someday to receive us unto Himself. Help us today uh, to see the greatness of who You are and to be like these people uh, that you mention in verse 15 with whom you dwell and I pray Lord for those who are suffering today uh, who are experiencing this great loss that you would be their peace and their help in a time of need in the name of Jesus we pray amen uh, I want us to see just a few things just three simple little things from this uh, verse in verse 15 and the first thing is is uh, that the Lord dwells. The title of the message is, Where Does God Dwell? It says the Lord dwells uh, in a lofty place. He is lofty in His dwelling. He is high and lifted up, verse 15 says. Uh, and uh, this is exactly what uh, we saw back in uh, Isaiah's uh, uh, rendition in, ver in chapter 6 of King, uh, when King Uzziah died. He said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Uh, there's a theological term that we use for that, and it's called the transcendency of God. And uh, I don't remember the author that I wrote this down from. He, he said God's transcendence means that God is infinitely above and incomprehensibly, pardon me, incomprehensibly higher than everything that is created. What does that mean? God is so different than us that you and I can't know him apart from him revealing himself to us. God is not like us. He is so different than we are. I, 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 there are times, you know, you, you look down at a, uh, a, an ant or a bug or whatever, and if you thought, could I have a dialogue with that? There are times I look at my, even my puppy, who is far more uh, advanced than an ant or a bug, and think, I just wish I could understand what he's thinking. I wish he could talk and say something to me. You see, transcendency is that, that great difference from who we are. And God is not like us. He is the one who dwells in the high place. He doesn't dwell upon this earth. Now, we know that God sees everything. He is uh, with every one of us who are his children. Uh, he's not a He's not a pantheistic God. He's not in everything, but He is everywhere because God is spirit. Uh, but when Solomon built the temple that God had commanded to be built, uh, when he came to dedicate the temple, 1 Kings 8.27 says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? And the answer is no. Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you how much less this house that I have built you see God doesn't dwell in this sanctuary he he doesn't live here uh, he he is high and lifted up so that uh, as Isaiah concludes in the 66th chapter in verse 1 he says thus says the Lord heaven is my throne all the heavens and, uh, you know, we keep looking deeper and deeper into the heavens. And what do we find? That it is deeper still. Now, I know there are the mathematicians and the scientists that say there's got to be an end to it. But it just seems like the more advanced we are in our ability to determine how far the universe goes, what do we find? It's just 
farther and farther away. And God says, that's, that's where I put my feet. It's my footstool. And uh, God is so unfathomable. We can't comprehend who he is except that God has done what? He has revealed himself to us. So he is a transcendent God. He's transcendent in his person. And uh, he is also timeless in, and I'm a, in his perpetuity. How do you like that word? Now, what does that mean? That's my way of saying he inhabits eternity, okay? Uh, God is eternal. We can't comprehend the fact that God is transcendent from us, nor can we fully comprehend what it means to be eternal, something that always has been. Uh, Children often ask me that question, who made God? If you're a parent, you've been asked that by your child. I know you have. Who made God? And the answer is, nobody made God. God is the maker of all things. He is. Well, who do you say that has sent me? The one who is. The one who was, who is, and is to come. He is timeless. You say, I can't wrap my brain around that. Amen. You're not meant to. You're meant to be awed by that. You're meant to be, you and I are meant to be overwhelmed by the fact that God is timeless. He inhabits eternity. He always was, always will be. And you and I have a point of beginning. I've met some unbelievers who have said, if, if I'm going to live for eternity, I wish that God would never have made me. What they're saying is I can't wrap my head around the fact that I'm going to live forever and ever. And the reality is we are going to live forever. We have a beginning, but we don't have an end because of God's eternal nature. What he has made lasts for eternity. And the question will be, do we spend an eternity with God And all the joy and the rest and the peace that he offers to us, are we spending an eternity separated from a holy God in judgment because we have rejected the beauty of his son? You see, everything in this three-dimensional plane that we live in perishes it. We see it all the time. Now, the secular world talks about the the cycle of life. Uh, Disney talks about the cycle of life. And when you and I look at it, don't believe what they're saying. It's not a cycle of life. It's a cycle of death. Everything that starts dies. Everything that comes to life dies. And we see this over and over and over again. And so it's a constant reminder to us that we're all going to die and if there is life after death and the Bible declares that it is and Jesus Christ declared that I am the resurrection and the life and the one who believes in me shall never perish the one that comes to him and believes on the Lord Jesus Christ will have eternal life he will last forever so uh, you and I can need to be overwhelmed by this. You see, don't put the spin of the world on it. Uh, the tragedy of Uvalde and what happened to those children reminds us that we live in a wicked world. I, I, I wish I could just offer you something and say it's going to get better, but it doesn't get better. People kill people. Despots invade nations. Whether it be through cancer or catastrophe or whatever it is, we're going to have trouble in this life. And you cannot get away from that. Where is our hope? Well, it is in the transcendent person of Christ. It is in his timeless perpetuity, the fact that he is eternal But let's also understand his terrifying perfection. 
okay? And I say that because we sang the song a moment ago, Holy, Holy, Holy. And uh, I want to remind you, when, when Moses wanted to see God in all of his holiness, do you remember what God said to him in uh, Exodus 33? You cannot see my face, for a man shall not see me and live. You and I have to be covered by grace in order to see God. Don't miss that. Uh, don't take lightly the privilege that we have to come and to know Him. When uh, John the Apostle has a vision of Jesus in the, in the Revelation, uh, Revelation 1-7 says, When I saw Him, I fell at His feet as though dead. You see, to encounter God is, you know, I, oh, I just can't wait to come and worship. Worship we see as excitement. And worship should be exciting, but it, it is an awesome thing. It is an overwhelming thing. It is a fearful thing, Hebrew says, to encounter the living God, to fall in His hands. And we don't need to miss this. And that's what Isaiah is reminding us of. That's what God's reminding us of about himself. When Paul describes God in 1 Timothy 6.16, he says he is immortal and he dwells where? In unapproachable light. If you and I were to see God, we'd be blinded besides die. <laughs> okay. But God in His grace and in His mercy toward us has revealed Himself in His Son. I had read this story uh, and I told my wife, I said, I'm not going to use it. Uh, it's a real old story and I'm going to find a newer one, but I couldn't find one. Um, so I'm going to tell you this story. I know everybody remembers uh, Al Smith, the uh, governor of New York who was governor in uh, 1918 and 1919, right? No, you don't remember him. Okay. Uh, and then he was governor again uh, in the 1920s. He was born in the shadow of the Brooklyn Bridge. And uh, he, we're not going to talk about his politics or what he did and all of that. What, what I want to tell you is a story that happened in his life and that was after he was elected to be the governor of New York, he was invited back to New York City because, you know, the capital is in, in Albany. And he's invited back to New York City where he grew up. And it was a bunch of businessmen, guys who had known him uh, when he was younger. When it came time to introduce the governor uh, to this lunch crowd that day, uh, the man who introduced him said, let us welcome our old buddy, Al Smith, to the podium. And when Al Smith came up to the podium, um, he says, uh, this reminds me of a time when my father took me to meet, uh, to go hear the governor of New York when I was a little boy. He said, I was just a little lad. And we went downtown to uh, hear the governor. And uh, when the governor came walking by, my dad said, tip your hat to the governor. He is passing. It kind of reminds me of the, the little part in uh, To Kill a Mockingbird when uh, they stand in the balcony and say, uh, take off your hat, bow because your dad is passing by. There, there's a reverence that this young boy, Al Smith, had learned that he ought to give, not to the man, but to the position of the governor of New York. And so when Governor Smith came to the podium, he tells them this story. And after he tells them this story, these were his words, then I will take leave from you. And then he departed from the crowd and left them awestruck and stunned by what he said. I don't know what that means to you, but it asks the question, do we ever take coming before God too casual? Sure we do. 
Do we ever just take for granted? We, you know, we came into this building this morning and said, we, we've come to do what? Worship God in all of His holiness, in all of His separateness, in all of His grandeur, in all of His glory, and then we just glibly come in. How about in our own devotion time with the Lord? Is it that holy hour? And I dare say that we often will be so casual and wonder, will, will God ever say to us, I'm going to take leave of meeting with you? I, I'm just not going to meet with you. Uh, we had a guest uh, coming this morning that I met. Uh, this was their first time to come to uh, our church. And I said, I hope that you have a worshipful time with us this morning. And her response was, if the Holy Spirit is here, I will. That's a good answer. Matter of fact, that's a great answer. If God has met with us, then we will meet with God. And it all has to do about the attitude by which we bring. God, in His otherness, has revealed Himself. Uh, we all know John 1.14, probably can quote it. Uh, where the scripture tells us the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, the only way we can encounter God is because God became man. He became like us. He identified with us in our humanity. And he died in our place in a he, he knows our, our temptations. He knows our trials. He's been tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And because of that, you and I ought to be overwhelmed by the fact that God would say, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. And he's not talking about a rest of our physical nature. He's talking about a rest for our soul. A rest of faith in Christ to know that we don't earn nor could we ever earn or merit favor toward God. But God in His grace has paid for our redemption. And He offers the gift of eternal life to the one who would come. So notice who He dwells with. He says two things. They're very simple in verse 15. He dwells with the contrite, and he dwells with the lowly in spirit. The contrite of heart and the lowly in spirit. Now, the word contrite in the Hebrew means crushed. It's the same word that's over in the 53rd chapter when it says, and it pleased the Father to crush him. To crush him. You know, life crushes you at times, does it not? Uh, someone asked me this morning, how are you doing? I said, well, I can tell you this, it's certainly not the worst day of my life. You, you've been there. And if you haven't been there, guess what? You will be there at some point when you'll go, boy, I don't know if life could get any worse. Well, there, sin crushes us. Our frailty crushes us. Our inability to accomplish the things that we dream about accomplishing Maybe when we were much younger. Now, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, this morning is kind of an unusual day. Uh, somebody, uh, well, it, it's the mounts bought me a pair of boots. Can y'all see this? Cowboy boots. Uh, where's the horse? That's coming. You know, I'm going to give up that uh, wave runner and I'm going to get me a horse because a horse will be a whole lot safer. <clears throat> And we, so I opened the, the boots were sitting right there, and so I opened it up, and, and it said, uh, "Happy retirement." Uh, one thing I ask is that you preach in those before you retire. And so I put them on, and they they feel good. And uh, what you may not know or remember is that my first church was in Chisholm, Texas. You know, it was it was there in Chisholm, Texas that. Uh, I first started serving a church, even though I grew up in Mobile. I mean, this was out in the middle. Of, when I say it's out in the middle of nowhere, it's out in the middle of nowhere. And when I, I, I did buy cowboy boots 
then. And I went to school, to college with some cowboys, literally. Uh, and, and they would call me, they would say, you know, Joel, you're just a drugstore cowboy. Now, a drugstore cowboy is somebody like me who's got the cowboy boots on and the belt and the hat and everything, but you're not a cowboy. Those guys were the real things. The, the two of the boys that I went to school with were part of a singing group called the Big Springs Boys. Uh, another guy was out from uh, west of uh, Lubbock, and that's up in the Panhandle. Uh, they came from very humble beginnings. But I remember a day when I was in school there in downtown Dallas, uh, outside the building, class was over, I was standing outside, and I, I, I heard something dreadful. It was a loud noise, and we didn't know what was going on. And uh, everybody started asking, well, what is that? We had a little courtyard where we were all, some of the students were standing in. And about five blocks down, they were building a, one of those tall buildings in downtown Dallas, and the crane that was up there fell. And it had been about 40 stories tall, and the man who was operating it was crushed. And he was literally crushed. And I tell you, I got to tell you, as a 19-year-old, I got nauseated. Went around the corner to see where it was and was looking, and I got nauseated, sick at my stomach, and thinking about somebody had to have perished right there. And the next day when we gathered for chapel service, it came time for us to begin. The president introduced one of our fellow students. And uh, he uh, came to the podium and he says, you guys know what happened yesterday. And uh, a man died. He said, but I went up, I, I just happened to have been down near what is now Thanksgiving Square in Dallas and had gotten something to eat and I was on my way back to class and I came across it. It happened just right in front of me. And he said, when I went up to the crane, the man who was crushed was still alive. And he said, so I started to tell him about the love of Christ. Jesus died on the cross for him. If he would trust Christ as his Lord and Savior and call upon him to be saved. Indeed, Jesus would receive him. Whoever confesses with his mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in his heart that God had raised him from the dead, he will be saved. And he said that man there in his crushed state confessed out loud to those that were standing around, I'm trusting in Jesus. And he said, I have great confidence that when that man closed his eyes in death just a few moments later that he was in Christ. He was in Christ. And whether it be through a crushing like that or some other crushing, it is often where God has to bring us to our lowest point where we're crushed. Or, secondly, lowly in spirit, that is humble. The word humble here in the Hebrew text has the idea of being small of stature or being at the bottom of the list. The last one that you would ever think of. You and I can't come to Christ in our pride and in our arrogance and say, you know, God really needs me. The kingdom of God would be better off. I mean, wouldn't it be wonderful if, uh, you know, Tom Cruise confessed faith in Jesus Christ? Can you imagine how many people would be saved on the planet if somebody as proud as Tom Cruise would come to humble himself before God? It doesn't work that way. You remember Jesus said even if someone would come back from the dead, and he did. They wouldn't believe. Because you have to be crushed in your heart. And you have to be humble, lowly in your spirit. And when you come to that place, God says, that's where I dwell. I dwell with the one who is humble and broken. But to conclude, what does he do for that person? He revives them. Notice what he says, to revive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the contrite. He makes us alive again. 
We are dead in our trespasses and sin, and He has made us alive. Verse 16 of uh, Isaiah 57 says, I will not always contend forever with you, nor will I always be angry, for your spirit would grow faint before me, and the breath of life that I have made would be gone. God in His tender mercy, He revives the heart of the one who comes to Him in brokenness and humility. He restores life, verse 18 says. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and to his mourners. He refreshes the soul, verse 19 says, creating the fruit of the lips, peace, peace to the far and to the near. And the Lord says, I will heal him. I will refresh his soul. I will restore him. So the question this morning is, where is God dwelling? Now, the simple thing may be to say, well, He dwells in my heart. But He really doesn't dwell in our heart, does He? He dwells in the soul of the one who is broken and contrite and humble that He has called by name and says, will you not come to me? And you are overwhelmed by the fact that God would invite you to come and to be his. Uh, the commentator that I, I, I keep quoting and love the most about Isaiah, Alec Motier, when he talks about this text, uh, I want to read what he says. He says, Isaiah would have been distinctly uneasy with today's folk religion and its pseudo-comfort. I want you to hear this. That grandma has just died and is still with us. Okay? That, that, that's, sometimes we would even say she's watching over us, looking out for us like she always did. He shared, he, Isaiah, shared the biblical understanding that the dead are not here, they're elsewhere. And he said, I am gathering mine. In Genesis 25, 17, it says, And God gathered Abraham to his people. Furthermore, Isaiah shares at the Bible's view that there is no such thing as an untimely death. A truth that even we as unbelievers find hard to accept. But there it is in the text. He gathered them. God did it. On God's timetable, because of God's grace and His mercy. The scripture here points to the gatherer. It's His decision, His timing, His action. It is in Jesus' keeping that we are safe. And even those who've gone before us in Jesus are saved. So precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of His saints. Psalm 116 and verse 15. Precious is like a priceless jewel purchased at an inexpressible cost. Something He longs to give to those He loves. So when God comes for us, I'm adding this, when God comes for us in death, it's to do what? Bless us. Not curse us. And he gives it thoughtfully, foreseeingly, protectively. Come, my people, hide yourself until his fury has passed. That's what death is. So in John 14, 1 through 3, this security of the Father's home belongs to those who trust in him. Isaiah thinks of the other side of the coin. Those who are righteous, that is, who are right with God, covered by the servant's provision, they are possessed of a righteousness from God. And death will come as precious to the child of God. I can't explain the evil in this world. Everybody says, well, explain evil. I can't except say that there is an evil one. And all of us have 
chosen to go our own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That whoever will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. And he'll give to you eternal life. And he prepares a place for you. And one day he will do what? Gather you to himself. If you had a loved one that has gone before you in Christ, they have been gathered. Bless the Lord. It's been almost 14 years ago. It was July the 13th in 2008 that my father was gathered to the Lord. I've watched my mother grieve through that. And I've seen two brothers gathered again in God's timing and in God's way. And look at it and go... If I were God, that's not how I would have chosen for it to work out. But thank God, right, that I'm not God? <laughs> you better be glad I'm not God. God knows what he's doing. Will you trust him? Father, we bow before you this morning to trust in the eternal one, the one who inhabits eternity, the one who is working all things out together for the good of those who are called according to your purpose. Thank you that you loved us enough to send your only begotten Son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but one day be gathered into the fullness and the peace of eternal life. And so, Father, until then, help us to know how to walk with you as your children, how to share you with a lost and, and dying world. And Lord, even in the circumstances of events that are going on around us, whether it be something that is known or unknown to others, may we speak kindly of the grace of God that is ours through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In His name we pray. Amen.